Hello, everybody, and welcome to episode two, season two of Soul Brew Podcast. This is going to be called Living with Lucy, and Stephen's going to explain a little bit about the name of the show after a while. And I am going to introduce the coffee. I am drinking coffee circular from the Scandinavian country, Norway. And it is um, a Panama, or not, it's not a Panama, it comes from Panama. It's a Pacamara Debra, and it is an anaerobic fermentation process. But apart from the coffee, the reason I got this coffee is probably more interesting than the coffee itself. So if you're into your fitness and coffee as well, there's a great podcast called Coffee Pods and Wads. He's a guy I met in Mullingar and his wife was having her second child and I was very much keeping in touch with him and asking him when was the child going to be born. And uh, we made this bet that the child was going to be born within, or he said that it was going to be 24 hours. And I said, well, like, you know, if, if you're right, I'll give you two free coffees <laughs> at the shop. And he said, if I'm, and he said, if I'm right, that he would buy me a bag of his favorite coffee. So I said, so he said it would be within 24 hours. And I said it would be within 24 hours and 15 minutes, or it would be, it would take 24 hours and 15 minutes before the child was born. So it's only a 15 minute difference but the child was born after the 24-hour mark, which means I was right. I won the bet <laughs> by 15 minutes. <laughs> and he was absolutely raging. And uh, he was like, he was like, I had a very stressful week. I wasn't thinking clearly. How did I not think that like it was going to be like any longer than 24 hours? So... I got a serious, <laughs> I got a serious cup, uh, bag of coffee for, for 15 minutes, adding on 15 minutes. So if anyone ever asks you a question like, uh, how many, how many, how many pennies do you think are inside this jar? And one person guesses, uh, I don't know, like a thousand and you go a thousand and one, you're going to be still one closer. So you're going to win the bet. So it's very, <laughs> it's a very crafty way of winning a bet. Uh, very strategic. Huh? Very, very strategic. Well done. Mm. I love it. And it's an amazing, like it's it's an, it's quality scored in 91. So 91 out of 100. So it is an incredible coffee. So I'd say he's raging that he had to give it to me. Um. So anyway, that's the story of how I got this bag of coffee. Uh, coffee Pods and Wads. That's your shout out on our Soul Group podcast. Stephen, um, tell us about this guest yes so the first guest of this season her name is lucy and basically we have a few mutual friends so one from chrysler catherine breslin and i met lucy when i took her and catherine and a few other of their mates for a surf lesson and she told me what she was just starting to embark on which was a cycle of the wild atlantic way I just found her very fascinating and very interesting. And then I followed her journey, which I'll explain a bit about in a second. And eventually ended up asking her to come onto the podcast. So she started the 2,400 kilometer cycle from Derry to Cork along the Wild Atlantic Way. And she did this 
for two reasons. One was to raise awareness and funds for youth mental health charity called Jigsaw, and also to team up with the Conscious Cup campaign to increase awareness around waste prevention and highlight some cafes along the Wild Atlantic Way that were accepting reusable cups. So two really good causes, really interesting, and her aim was to raise about one euro per kilometer was her hope. So that would have been 2,400 euro she was aiming for. And to date, the amount she raised stands at 12,000 euro, 12,302 euro, which is amazing. And she speaks in this episode about how she got through it and what happened to her throughout it. And it was just fascinating to hear someone do such a grueling cycle, like two, nearly two and a half thousand kilometers. It's a bit that's, mad. That's mad. And she also drank yeah. a heap of Guinness along the way. Which is I can't remember the amount of pints. About, about 100 pints or something. Oh, yeah. Well, yeah. Well, I'm a good for it. Yeah, it was like a crazy amount of pints of Guinness. Uh, so great woman for the <laughs> Um, very, I, I remember when we had the phone call, she's very captivating and like just her stories were so like unbelievable what was happening and very interesting to listen to. So I hope you um, all enjoy our, our first guest of season two. Um, I certainly enjoyed when we were talking to her. Stephen, have you anything else there that missed? Yeah, just for a bit of context as well for a couple of things she might mention throughout is she's also a climate ambassador with Ontosk, so promoting t- slow tourism and avoiding single-use items so very much in terms of the um, awareness around waste again and also she has just gone through a career change from fashion to furniture making which is super <laughs> interesting and kind of relates to uh, some of the stuff we've talked about especially in episode one there and also she runs a guest house in Kerry which was covered on the front cover of Ireland's Home Interiors and Living magazine last year so she's got a lot of really interesting things going on I really enjoyed it and there will be a link to all the pages in our bio with a link to her donation page as well if anyone is interested so I hope you enjoyed enjoy the conversation as much as I enjoyed having it yeah perfect and now is your time to go and grab your cup of coffee and enjoy the podcast thank you okay lucy i'll start you off with what uh, made you decide to cycle the length of our beautiful country here ireland Um, a couple of reasons that I decided to do it. I I wanted to go traveling uh, and I wanted to travel like really slowly through an area. So I was looking at going across Europe and I was looking at different things like that. And um, lockdowns made it kind of hard. So I also wanted to spend the summer on the West Coast and I couldn't really find any jobs. So then I thought, well, why don't I just cycle the West Coast? Um, and that'll be really fun and I kind of I wanted to go somewhere where it kind of felt like that sense of adventure do you know so that's why I was cycling and camping makes sense and have you had you cycled much before no yes and no so cycling is like my main form of transport I don't drive anywhere I just cycle everywhere or put my bike on public transport but um I had never done like long you know cyclist cycles like I didn't I wasn't one of those long people how were you after the first couple of days of cycling then 
Uh, sore. I started in Donegal and like, <laughs> Christ, some of the hills were shocking. <laughs> <laughs> like I remember the first day that I had a really bad hill. Where was I? It was somewhere up the top of the Inishan Peninsula and I came to the top of this pass and I was dead. And I bumped into this farmer on the side of the road and I was like, that was so hard, that hill. And he was like, oh, you think that's hard? Why did you turn around this bend? And I went around the bend and it was like just up and down. <laughs> so... <laughs> <laughs> the baptism of fire. And how many, so how many kilometers is that in total? 2,500? 2,400. 2,400. Wow. Yeah. And that was done over how many days? Uh, I think it was 41 days of cycling, but I took about like six weeks to do it. Well, two months really, because I took two weeks off in the middle. I was but. wondering how you drank 103 pints of drink in 41 <laughs> days, so that would make sense. <laughs> No, no, it was over <laughs> like, about the space of two months. This is like Guinness's powering. Her. I know. But you know, also, it was so hard to like get good food. Like I ate so badly. You know, it's so hard to get vegetables anywhere. Um, okay. Why is that? It's like white food, you know? So at least, not the Guinness is as good as a vegetable at all, but at least it would fill me up a bit more on, on pit stops, you know? What was it? <laughs> What was, day, what was the days eating like for you? Because I presume, did you have pots and pans with you or? Like- yeah, I had like one pot. Uh, initially, I had a Kelly kettle, which is like a sort of a kettle that's hollow in the middle and has a cylinder on the outside. So you light a fire underneath and it boils water on the outside and you can sit a pot on top. Um, so I kind of would make porridge as beans and things like that on that. But to be honest, it was really inefficient. Um. It was crap. Like I, and then that got robbed, and I didn't really mind because it was such a bad way of cooking. Um, okay. So how how did you eat each day? And um, so side one. No, uh, like no, go ahead. Yeah. So I would. God, it was very varied every day. I'd usually try and have porridge for breakfast. I had a lot of just like bread, hummus, stuff like that. Um, I definitely have at least one meal out a day. I had lots of tins of beans. Um. Yeah, I guess it was kind of a mix of things. And some areas were really good for food and some areas were really bad. Like Sligo Town, amazing, great food. Uh, in Peninsula and Donegal, not so good. <laughs> it was really hit and miss, depending on where I went. I know this might seem that. like a silly question, but was it physically hard? Or because you were taking breaks, it was a little bit more manageable? It, yeah, it was physically hard, like on hills and stuff. Um, and my, my gear was so heavy, like I had so, like big panniers in the back of the bike and then um, a frame bag and a handlebar bag. Um, so obviously bits of it, like, yeah, on a hill you're like, why am I doing this? But generally speaking, it was really enjoyable. Um, and I didn't have to get to any destination any day because I was camping. So I, I had a route planned out, but only for the sake of doing it. Um, but it didn't really matter where I ended up. So I wasn't putting myself under mm-hmm. pressure very much, really. And you were saying there, so was it, you're kind of like, why are you doing this? Was there any moment where you really were like, oh, no, I can't. Like, were you close to like calling it in or? <laughs> well, <clears throat> calling it in wasn't an option because I'd be stuck on the side of the road with nowhere to go. But there was twice where I was like, so once was in Clare when there was really strong headwinds the whole way along the coast. And initially I'd cycle past the cliffs and and I actually couldn't keep going because I kept getting blown onto the road. Um, so I went back in my cross country, but I was going at seven kilometers an hour, like into the headwinds. And then I had gotten soaked that morning. So I had my t-shirt on the back of my bike drying and it got sucked into the back wheel. And I, if I was going fast, it would have come crashing to a halt, but I was going so slowly that I just kind of stopped. 
and the whole sleeve had gotten wrapped up in the back wheel and I was like this happened so I was like that was a pain and it was lashing and it was cold and I just had so far to go to get to anywhere um or another time was in Mayo after I'd gotten the I got the vaccine in Balmullet and I had to go through Ballycroy National Park and I thought I'd just camp in the National Park but there was actually uh, fire warnings so you couldn't camp there um, and the whole place is bog, so like you can't camp in the bog. It's just like camping in a puddle. So uh, I went, I was looking for B and Bs. I was looking for all sorts of things. Couldn't find anywhere. Uh, there was no beaches for miles. And eventually, I was like, Do I, like, will I camp in a church car park? Like, I can't find anything. And then I was zooming in on the map, and suddenly this B and B popped up. And I rang them, and I went in and stayed. And just amazing. I hadn't had a shower in ages before that, so that was great. And uh, then the next morning, some local was a friend of a friend and rang up and paid the bill before I got a chance to do it. So that was lovely. Wow. wow. Yeah. Amazing. That was like, so that's obviously one good deed throughout. Did you find, like, would people, when they hear what you're doing, would they have, you know, offered you food or accommodation or anything else? Or Yeah. Yeah, a lot of people, um, people were just really kind. Um, the Blue Goat from Melton, do you know that place? The cafe in Melton? Yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, the guy in there gave me the keys to the place and just was like, there's a couch upstairs, we don't have a bed, but um, we don't have a shower, but there's hot water. So I'll get the keys off you in the morning and the next morning he gave me breakfast and that was great. Oh. Um, or people would like sneak off and pay a bill in a restaurant if they saw it, that happened once or twice. Um, if they heard about the cycle, which was lovely. Um, and then a couple of my friends rang ahead to places where they had, um, let's say, like where friends of theirs had a pub or something, and they'd be like, go to this pub, and I'd call in, and then they'd be like, we have two pints here for you behind the bar, that sort of thing. That was, yeah, that was great. Uh, I'm looking at your Instagram here when we're having this conversation, and it says you have over 12,000 raised. Explain what it's raised for, please. So that's raised for Jigsaw. Um, before I started the cycle, I was looking for a mental health charity which dealt with, um, well, which dealt with anything really. That was kind of the point. So I noticed um, myself and with friends and different people that whenever anyone was looking for sort of mental health supports, um, a lot of the charities seemed to be for really crisis situations. And if you weren't in a crisis situation, it was like, oh, I don't want to be bothering them with my little problems. And so I asked around people for tips on, I actually just put it up on Instagram. I was like, can anyone tell me about some good charities doing basically entry level mental health sports? And Jigsaw was one of the ones suggested and I researched them and they looked really good. Um, So they have centers all around the country and basically you get referred to them or you um, refer to them yourself and they will give you eight free counseling sessions. And they also do kind of, I suppose they would educate teachers and different people, different youth workers on telltale signs or how to handle situations or all this sort of stuff. Um, and they are for 12 to 25 year olds. That's so it's youth mental health. Yeah, class. I think there's one in Letterkenny, I believe, actually would be the closest one to yeah. us here in Donegal, but I know they're scattered ever. And was there any particular reason why you wanted mental health charity? Yeah, I mean, there was loads of, there was a couple of things I was looking at, like I was looking at cancer support or um, to do with refugees. And I went for mental health in the end, just, I don't really know. I feel like, I suppose it was so prevalent in the time 
um, because of lockdown and COVID and everything. And I'd seen through my little brother that the state supports are quite slow and can be very unhelpful um, or like disjointed. And also like personally and through a couple of friends, I'd seen that if you go, oftentimes someone will go for counselling and to work up to the actual courage to go for counselling in the first place is really hard. And then you go to someone and they might, you might not get on with them. And then um, it's like, oh, Jesus, it's such a waste of time. I'm just forget about it. And you just don't go for any more help, essentially. And so I was looking for someone that basically some or somebody that basically sort of opened up the whole conversation around it and had loads of online resources available, as well as just making it really easy to get help basically because obviously cost is also a massive issue you know yeah yeah i think it's a great it was a good choice um but so obviously cycling two and a half thousand kilometers and spending so much time on your own did you find anything that stuck out in terms of your own mental health or your own resilience or anything that really got you during the the six weeks it took you to cycle yeah i think I, so I did the Kerry Way last year, which is a walking route around Kerry. And it was a similar thing where I was on my own for most of it. And also the last couple of summers, I've sort of spent predominantly on my own in Kerry. And I sort of found that spending time on your own, although it's really hard and obviously loneliness is like a major thing, but I think it's really, really good for you. And I think not enough people do it. So it was, it was partly like a challenge. And I also know that from, we just realised in myself in the last few years that um, I suppose career-wise and things like that, I've been sort of jumping around the place and haven't had a clear trajectory and I've been sort of like, what am I doing in my life? So doing a challenge like this and spending so much time on my own, I also wanted to do it so that in the future I could be like, okay, well, I did that, so like I can do this. Um, but yeah, throughout the cycle, you're with your thoughts all the time, but you're also surrounded by just the West Coast and it's really beautiful and you've, basic little challenges that you have to overcome every day, just like cycling or figuring out your stuff or figuring out how to charge your phone, whatever. And um, I don't know, I just think it's really, really good for your mental health to take out all the random things that seem to concern you in life when you're in, let's say, a city or living in your normal everyday life and to just be like your sole purposes from getting, getting from A to B and basically having a nice time and feeding yourself and finding somewhere to sleep. It's just simplifying things a lot. And yeah, I always, every time I go for a hike or go for a swim or something, I feel better. So it just was a more intense version of that, if that makes sense. Or if that answers the question. Yeah, living, living in ecstasy for <laughs> six weeks, were you? <laughs> <laughs> enjoyment. Yeah, and actually also on that point, I was following this girl for a long time online who is just kind of trying to get more women motorbiking and she was motorbiking across the world. And there's been loads of studies shown on the impact that basically being on a motorbike has on your brain. So like if you are speeding through a landscape, not that I was speeding at all, but anyway, through a landscape. Seven and kilometers an hour. <laughs> seven kilometers flat out. <laughs> yeah. Like when am I getting past this road? No, but if you're flying through a landscape and you are like forced to just take it in as you're going through, like you can't, you know, stop and look at it. Or you can if you stop. But if you're flying through, you can't stop and look at it. You're kind of processing it all that has the same impact on your brain as meditation like the same slowing down you know the way when you meditate you're trying to like slow down your brain and 
train it to sort of, I suppose, slow down your reactions and all that sort of stuff. It's a similar impact. So that was sort of another interesting element of it. That's really interesting. I never heard that before, actually. Mm. So you're, that- you're meditating as you're cycling nearly? Nearly. Yeah, sort of. Like, you kind of are, because you're not, yeah. you're just thinking of one thing, you know? Yeah. I'd imagine a- you, had, you were having a lot of conversations with yourself the whole time, were you? Yeah, I was, I suppose. Um, you are, and you're also kind of concentrating on the road as well. And then I also just had the same three songs in my head the whole time that I was just like singing out loud every time I wasn't near people. <laughs> Rotation. What were they? Um, sorry? What were they? Uh, one is a Lancome song called, there are three Irish songs. One is a Lancome song called, what's it called? Uh, what will we do when we have no money? And another one is not really because of the content, but more because it's just low and easy to sing when you're cycling. <laughs> and then, um, Oh, a Simon and Garfunkel one. What's it called? Hello, Darkness, my old friend. No. <laughs> the one, Graceland. No. Graceland. Graceland and then Raven Road. Ah, very good. It's my party piece. So, um, so on your journey, uh, I know that near the end, you had a bit of a robbery. Yeah. Um, which obviously you spoke about how nice people were throughout your journey. This is mm-hmm. definitely the opposite. Can you explain to us what happened and how you dealt with that? Yep. So I was uh, in North Kerry. So I was going to camp in Banna Beach. And it was, well, I was actually going to camp in Bally Bunyan. And when I got there, it was just a bit rough and didn't seem great. So I went on to Banna Beach and it was getting quite dark. So I wanted to get off the road and set up camp for dark. And um, basically I went to the main car park and it was full of people and there was a lot of kind of men on their own in cars and I always camp in sand dunes and um, because if you have a sand dune you've got the sort of high grassy areas and then you've got these sort of basins in between and so if I'm down in one of those basins then um, my tent can't be seen I can't be seen and I just go in when no one can see me and I don't come out again for the night and I'm hidden because obviously it's not that safe camping around as a girl on your own you know so anyway got to this beach Car park was full of people. There's a couple of men in their own cars. And I thought, I can't, if I lock my bike here, everyone will see where I'm going. And it's not great. So I went to the back car park where there was kind of an extended family camping. Um, but none of them really seemed to be around. And I've camped beside some kind of family groups before. And it's always been quite nice. So I hid my bike behind a wall. There was nowhere I could lock it in the back car park and went into the sand dunes. I couldn't like lift my bike in because it was over a wall. Uh, went to sleep, had a great sleep. And then I woke up in the morning and I came down and I, I knew that I was taking a risk, you know, with my stuff, but I was like, okay, I'll risk the bike and not me, not myself. Came down to the uh, car park after, in the, ne- the next morning and I saw like my helmet on the ground and bike gone. And I was like, oh, uh, and I went looking around and you know that feeling when you're like, why did I just not do this? Or why did I, whatever. Um, Anyway, I went looking around and I found my bike kind of strewn off to the side um, and the derailleur, so the thing that changed the gears, was snapped off and a piece on that, the hanger, was snapped and that's different for every kind of model of bike. I didn't know the time, but I found that out afterwards. And then the, the chain was like ripped off and wrapped around. There was a slow, it was just really kind of fucked up a lot, to be honest. 
Um, are we allowed to curse in this podcast? <laughs> no, we'll have to edit that out. <laughs> no children here. Um, it was yeah. well damaged. Um, anyway, and so, yeah, I asked a few people around the area if they'd seen anything, and they said they hadn't. And so, I found so it wasn't that your bike was stolen, it was actually, like, vandalized? It was vandalized, but all my belongings were gone. So I had panniers in the back of the bike and a frame bag and a handlebar bag. I bought all that stuff new for the trip. Um, I kind of was like, I'll buy really good stuff now and it'll last me years and years for loads of trips. Which obviously, wasn't the case. Um, so, yeah, just stuff basically... Stuff really not, not of use to anyone, really, unless they have a bike, I presume. Yeah, it's not. Like, my toothbrush was robbed. That's totally not of use to anyone. Um, so, like, in the tent, I had my tent, my sleeping bag, my sleeping mat, and I guess my battery pack and phone and wallet and whatever few layers I was wearing. But I didn't really have anything else with me, so... Basically, everything else was robbed. Um, and I was just kind of trying to think of everything that was robbed at the time. Anyway, so I spoke to various people around. No, there was no help or I wasn't getting anywhere. So I just rang the guards. And um, two female guards arrived, really sharpish. Um, and they basically questioned everyone and did whatever they're supposed to do. And they were really helpful and really, really kind. And at th- like at this point, <laughs> I know I'm laughing about it now, but I was walking around this car park, like sobbing, <laughs> um, you know, just like crying. Like, because <laughs> I obviously couldn't even get out of there. No. Um, and yeah, they picked me up, picked me up with a bike and brought me into Chile. We went to a bike shop and he was like, I can't fix it because you need to get a new hanger. You'll need to order that from the manufacturer. And I was thinking like, great, there's a bike shortage in Ireland and I have to order this from the manufacturer. But anyway. And they gave me breakfast and um, yeah, my family were in South Kerry, so they came and picked me up. So it was grand. So it was obviously a big blow and not great. And it was funny because the night before or two days earlier, I was like, what would I do if all my stuff got nicked when I was camping? And then it happened. So maybe the whole power of the subconscious mind thing does work. And I, but you also had a solution, a pre-prepared solution by the time did you? Yeah. Oh God. But yeah. So that was it. I went down to South Perry and just started trying to figure out what to do next. But at the time I put on Instagram that I'd been robbed and then the local beach clean group were like, will you put up a list of everything that's been nicked? And if we find anything, we'll give it to you or we'll pick it up for you. So I did that. And then other people started messaging me and being like, Oh, like, do you want, well, a lot of people were like, can I give you money to fix your bike? And I was like, you know, you're doing a charity event um taking money for personal things it just gets a bit messy so i just said look if you want to give me money give it to jigsaw and if you want to give me stuff from the list that you don't want and you already have then like don't go buying stuff but if if anyone was trying any out then i'd take that so i managed to replace a few bits that way by borrowing things um and then i just spent about two weeks hanging out and waiting for bits to arrive in the post and some did and some didn't and then i hit the road again why did you hit the road on how did you manage to get going again oh sorry so i actually i got my bike fixed down in carcevine so i ordered the part and um the local my family are from carcevine um and so we know the area well and know everyone down there and the local bike man uh arrived at the door and said where is this bike and he picked it up and took it off to be fixed and at this point the part had arrived in the post that i had to pick up and um yeah, then I went to pick it up and he didn't even charge me for the repairs, which was very nice of him because it was wow. about 200 quid worth of repairs. Wow. Um, 200 quid? 200. 200. 
yeah about that um so yeah uh like it was really really crap obviously and i really liked my st- like people were sending me stuff and i was like i really liked my one of this but you know it's like there's nothing you can do like it's gone so um the annoying thing was that a diary that i'd kept like a log of everywhere that i'd been that was nicked and that was frustrating because I find it really hard to concentrate and get things written down. So that was like a real challenge to actually write that stuff down. And that was Nick. I was like, okay, well, I'm not writing it again. Um, yeah. yeah, it'll be hard to write something from four weeks previous. Like it's very much in the moment, I'm sure, when you're writing that. So. Yeah, and I tried recording it and I tried like doing the record to type thing and it was coming out like gibberish and I just thought, I'll just have to remember it. <laughs> so... Frustrating, but it didn't deter you. I know you still went on. You finished it in two weeks. Yeah, well, like I wanted to see the whole West Coast, and it kind of never was an option to just stop. You know, that didn't really. I don't know. That didn't really occur to me. Um, to not finish it. Well, um, so yeah, so all in all, before we move on from your cycle, do you have (laughs) any other? comments about what you learned about yourself or about others or about the fact that Donegal is probably the nicest part of it. <laughs> um, I was one kind of random thing that I learned, which is really simple, but I just didn't get it before. And that's when you're, this is not anything profound at all, but when you are, you know, when you're exercising or cycling or hiking or whatever, and people are like, just take a break if you're really tired and just go again. And I'm always like, that's bullshit. I've used this energy and it's gone. But if you stop and actually just wait and then you start like on a hill, I'd stop, let's say halfway up a hill if I was dying and you just wait a few minutes. It's like you're starting the hill from scratch and you've so much more energy again. And I found that amazing. I was like, where is this coming from? <laughs> so that was new. Um, and I didn't say Donegal the most amazing part altogether, but it is bloody gorgeous. But uh, because I love Kerry. Uh, but Donegal definitely has spectacular beaches and I was there during the heat wave and I was just like camp with the tent open and it was like paradise um, and getting robbed was great because I ended up raising way more money for Jigsaw and I missed two weeks of bad weather and um, I don't know it was just kind of it was fine you know it was grand it wasn't great but it was you get over it that's a great it's way to look at it yeah it's interesting that you say that because the me and Aidan did a six-week course recently, which we spoke about in episode one of the series. And it was about, a part of it was about finding a gift in bad things that happen. So mm. able to find the good in the bad is pretty cool. I suppose you kind of have to, because otherwise you could just want to. But also, actually, one other thing that I did learn was that, so two, two years ago, I was in India and I did a, I don't know, two-week long or something, um like kind of meditation retreat thing and you're in silence for whatever amount of time and um you were basically it was a buddhist thing you were just learning all these buddhist sort of teachings and principles and stuff which are basically the same teachings in every religion but they're just a lot nicer when they present them in the buddhist way but anyway uh, a lot of the things that we learned kind of just kept coming up during the cycle and like they're things that you think you already know and they're things that are straightforward like being nice to people and not being too attached to things and but you know when you break them down there's a lot more to them and a lot of those things just kept coming up again and I remember it doing that course and then being like attachment is not the root of all evil but you know it's like it's what leads to all pain is attachment so I was like okay well look 
better not be attached to my belongings because they're gone. So, you know, that's kind of it. <laughs> oh, nice. So that was nice. Class. And then, uh, so there's a couple other things I would love to pick your brains at. Um, firstly, a two week silent retreat. Is that what you did? Yeah. It was, I think it was called Introduction to Buddhism. Um, and it was just all meditation and then various lectures on, on what we were meditating on. Like guided meditations. Okay. Was, it, was that tough or good? or? Um, it, was, it was both. It was surprisingly easy not to talk somehow. It wasn't like, you know, people do these Vipassana things and you're basically just having a terrible time the whole time. It wasn't like that. It wasn't like you were allowed to make eye contact with people and you were allowed to smile and, you know, eat food and get up after 6 a.m. So you learned how to communicate without actually talking? Yeah, and you don't have to... Like when you do those things, you're kind of meditating full time. And whereas we did a lot of work on like, okay, how to sit in this position. And if it's uncomfortable, you can move like this. And everything was a, a guided thing. And then we kind of everything down and talk through it. So it was a lot more learning than just purely sort of self-driven. And was the guided stuff vocalized or was it done silently? As in we were silent, but... Yes, we were silent, but the teachers were talking. The teacher was... Okay. Yeah, and he was this hilarious guy who was half English, half Australian, um, with some Irish mom who just was thought he would never achieve enlightenment because of his sense of humour. Because he was like, I'm just insulting people all the time. But um, so it was very entertaining. It was great fun, like in that so way. Were you allowed to laugh? Yeah, we yeah. were. <laughs> um, we were. Yeah, it was really interesting. Like covered loads of different topics like you meditate on death and you meditate on all these different things and um you kind of i don't know emotions come to you or you feel certain ways about things you didn't realize you felt um one meditation on forgiveness and you're going through some you have to go through in your head let's say uh, a time when someone did something terrible to you and you have to forgive them but then afterwards your man goes into this thing of basically you having to forgive yourself and I think everyone was shocked by how suddenly they were very upset and a lot of people were just crying and it just brought out a lot in people, which was kind of amazing. And it's weird. But, I imagine it's weird because you can't even tell the person next to you why you're crying or what you're feeling or what you're thinking or how you're yeah. your emotions all throughout that. Yeah, you can't, you know, say anything. I mean, you can, you know, pat them on the back and smile, but that's about it. Like um, a Sheldon Cooper, like a there, there sort of thing. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Yeah. And did you, did you, um, did you speak at all over the two weeks? Like in the first couple of days, did you forget yourself and say something or? Um, I don't, I don't think so. But there was one guy who just kept chatting to everyone the whole time. And I remember saying it to him afterwards and he was like, what? I was so silent. But no, I don't think <laughs> so. It was, yeah, he just was so blissfully ignorant okay. of broken this all the time. Um, it was funny because you build up these ideas in your head of what someone sounds like or who they are and then they talk to you at the end and you're like what you're German I thought you were I don't know or something um, but and it's amazing how much you can kind of communicate without words because we were all part of the thing you have to do you think called, called karma yoga every day but it's basically you're doing an hour's work to sort of look after the, the retreat centre and um, so me and a couple of girls job was cleaning the toilets and like you can uh, 
you can somehow plan and chat away and get that stuff done without using words, which was interesting. Wow. Mm. And yeah. Camille, is there anything yeah, that two weeks ago one? that you can still, is there anything from that time that you still carry into your present day or like, you know, obviously you don't go around your house not speaking to everyone all day, I presume, but. Um, yeah, I, for a while, for a good while after it, I still meditated every day. And then now I'll do it sometimes and I'll forget about it and then do it again. But it was interesting because a lot of people, you know, when people try to meditate and they think they'll be able to sit there for 10 minutes and it's like, that's, like, that's just not possible. Like, you can't sit there and think of nothing for 10 minutes. Like, no. I mean, it's possible, sure. But like that requires a lot of brain training. Like when we were doing it, it was like, okay, every day from now on, do it for one minute, twice a day. And if you do that, you're doing great. Do you know? Um, so that was one thing. And yeah, I don't know, really. Those are little things, I suppose, but nothing. Yeah, things that you probably don't realize you're doing until you're doing them. Yeah. Awesome. Um, and before we finish, there's one other thing about you that is really interesting, or I find interesting. You turned, uh, is it a home house or a house of yours in Karsabine in Kerry mm-hmm. um, into like a guest house slash B&B? So like, you're obviously you did it when you're really young and you end up running your own guest house and stuff what made you want to run a guest house to start and like what kind of stories do you have from that um i did that because i basically what age was i 21 or 22 or something and um i wanted to spend i'd always said i'd spend a summer in Kerry and I'd always been going down for two weeks and leaving again and my family are from there and all that sort of thing, but I hadn't really spent much time there by myself. Um, and also the Lonely Planet had listed um, the Skellig Ring, which is like a ring around that part of Kerry, kind of smaller than the Ring Kerry, as one of the top 10 places to visit for whatever year that was, 2019 or something, 2018, 2017, I don't know. Anyway, so I thought, oh, I'm going to make bank on this. And we used to um, rent the house out as a self-catering place, but no one really, uh, we weren't getting very many customers. So I basically, an Airbnb was kind of kicking off at the time. So I just said to my mum and dad, can I rent the house from you and then put it on Airbnb myself and um, see how it goes? So there was a lot of deliberation and eventually said, they said yes. And then I started it and had like no business. And a local woman was like, no, you need to be on booking.com. That's where we get all our business. They're an awful company, but they get a lot of business. And so, yeah, so I went down. I had like was it 40 euro or 20 euro and had no money. And uh, my sister and a boyfriend came down, helped me clean up the house and basically fed me for the week because I had no cash. And um, then I opened accounts in various local businesses so that I could buy food for guests and not have to pay for it yet because I couldn't. Um, and yeah, just kind of started going. Like part of the beauty of it was my ignorance because I had no idea what anything. I'd never stayed in a B&B before, barely really stayed in any hotels. So I didn't know what was expected. And I just thought if I pitched it up as a sort of, you know, unique stay, because the building is, was formerly kind of a monastery. It was the Christian brothers used to live there. So if, I was like, if I pitch it as a unique stay, then people can't complain if it's not your stereotypical B&B and I'll give them a gorgeous breakfast and shower them with interesting local facts and 
you know, all that sort of stuff. And they'll have to have a great time. And most of them did. And one or two of them uh, arrived and saw how young I was and tried to kind of worm their way out of paying and just were generally very difficult. But I had a great time. It was such hard work because I'd get up at like six or half six to do laundry and then be trying to turn over rooms and then do breakfast from eight to ten. And then I was in work in a cafe at half ten until like half five and then guests would arrive again at six and I'd be doing the welcoming for them and then I'd be doing laundry again till midnight and then go to sleep so I had no life at all there was no 100 pints drank that summer um and but it was great it was really good learning experience and I met so many people from all over the place actually I met a girl who was cycling across Europe and that was one of the things I put into my head that you can just hit the road on a bike and you know do what you want to do deadly uh, Aidan, do you have any questions before I, we wrap up here? I do. Um, so I think at the, at the start, I, I have two questions, actually. The first question uh, goes way back to when we were talking about you picking Jigsaw. And you were saying that, you know, it, it's really difficult for people to build up the courage to go for counseling in the first place. Mm-hmm. Why do you think that is, Lucy? And what do you think? ourselves and anyone that's listening to this can do to normalize people going to counseling? I think it's hard to start yourself because I suppose on the one hand you have to, sometimes it can seem self, it feels self-indulgent um, even though it's really, really not. And also I guess it depends on, you know, your generation. Like my little brother is what, 17 to his age group. It's not a strange thing and it's not a something to hide. To my age group, I'm not even that much older, I'm 26. And when I was in school, I remember one or two friends going to counseling. and I was like, Jesus, what's wrong with them? You know, it's like, it's, it was just a, a different time and it's not seen as, it wasn't seen as a normal thing, I suppose, when we were growing up. So we're like learning to get used to it. Um, and I don't know what you can do, I suppose, just talk about it more. Mm-hmm. Um, and... Yeah, I guess just talking about the fact that, you know, like what actually is, I think one of the biggest problems is we talk about talking about mental health loads. We never actually talk about what it is, you know, like how do you feel when you feel shit or, um, you know, you don't have to be diagnosed with some particular disorder or issue or something to need to just go and talk to someone for some counselling. You can just feel a little bit crap too much of the time and not really know why and not really be able to figure it out yourself or not want to talk to your family about it because you don't want to burden them or anything like that. Um, and so I think just like talking about the fact that you can go and get help if you're not severely depressed or you can, there might be something that happened in your past you've never dealt with and you don't want to talk to people around you about it because you know that it might just upset them. But you just say to them, look, I need help for this sort of thing and I don't really know where to go with it. Um, I don't know, but the idea of, let's say, starting and then, you know, not like I went to counselling this year and I was talking to this woman and I like, she was so unhelpful. Like she couldn't have been less helpful. Um, I think she wanted to be helpful, but she'd just sit there nodding and saying, mm, how do you feel about that? And I was like, Jesus, I've had these conversations with my friends for years. Like, come on, like, I, can we move on from this? So I stopped going to her, but I haven't found anyone else to go to yet because you have to go and do the searching. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Hard part. And... Yeah, and you have to pay for it and 
expensive and all those sort of things. So like I get it, but I think talking about it just all the time a lot more and I guess talking to especially younger men about it as well because like among the girls, like my friends, the girls will chat away about everything and we'll get down and deep into everything and but some guys just don't, some guys do and I think it depends on your friend group. Like certain groups I feel like are really open and certain groups aren't. Um, and I don't really know how to combat that, but I guess just constantly talking about it. We, we got good advice off, um, off a very uh, big rugby player that he's going to be a guest on our podcast as well. And, um, he, he's a hundred, he was 126 kilos. So big guy, if you look at him, you're like, he's not going to talk about feelings and stuff. And mm. he's an open book now um, after his story, which I'm not going to give away anything about. And he had said that some of his friends are still struggling with how open he is. And his solution was that he's open to whoever wants to listen to him. And if they don't, then, then that's fine with him. So like that's, that was his solution to dealing with men that aren't able to talk about their feelings or emotions. And I thought that was pretty good. He, he's leading by example, obviously. And then he, mm. people who want, who want to talk to him, um, he will talk to them, you know? Uh, yeah. Second question for you is, so you were doing a lot of these challenges because you didn't really know what you were doing with your life or what trajectory it was going in. And you said you weren't too career based and what is next for Lucy O'Sullivan and what is she doing and what direction are you moving in now? Um, I don't really know, but I'm a little bit more comfortable with that now than I was before. But, um, I'm start, I've started the course in furniture design, furniture design and making. Um, I figured out that I really like working with my hands and I also get nothing done when I'm sitting at a computer. So I can't really get someone to pay me for doing nothing. Um, so like in an ideal world, I'll do this course, it's year long, and I'll go abroad, train with various people because we haven't really kept crafts live in Ireland. So train in places where they have. And then come back, live somewhere on the West Coast, make amazing things and sell a table for like 20 grand and have a lovely <laughs> West Coast life in my beautiful workshop. Aiming high, you know. Yeah. What's that? You're fairly aiming high there. I oh, yeah, absolutely. You can't be aiming low. No, you're dead right, yeah. Reach for the so, stars. But like I, like, I really don't know. I'd like to see what happens along the way. Yeah, I don't think, I don't think anyone needs to know. I think it's just, uh, I think you're doing it the right way just following something that you like go with that for now i know and i don't like to have a plan for too many months in advance either this is the first time that i've known where i'll be in like even three months time i haven't lived in somewhere for more than three months since i think early 2018 so like this is the first time i'm going to be living in one place for so long Mm. um so yeah we'll see steven um i think he's kind of hit nails on on the head with everything there um do you, Lucy, have any questions for us seeing as you were doing a lot of chat? And it was really interesting. Yes, stuff. you know, nattering away and not letting you guys no, go. <laughs> that was great. I was just wondering if, um, before we do finish up, if you have any queries you'd like to bring to us or any questions. I have loads of questions. Uh, I don't know. Um, what are you guys doing? Because I'm like, you're doing this podcast, but I'm, always, I'm really curious what's the aim of it. Um, to get someone to pay us 20,000 to do a live podcast. (laughs) Nice. (laughs) The aim initially is to get people talking actually uh, about the topics we're speaking of, mental Mm -hmm. health type stuff. 
and actually the amount of people that have reached out to us and spoken to us about their own things what they're going through or people some mm-hmm. people have come to me saying they've had counseling as well and that type of stuff is really cool and um, so that's the the aim as such i mean ideally obviously we would love to be able to like earn some sort of living off this but mm-hmm. not like a goal as such i mean that's like yeah a, yeah just getting conversations and in an ideal world like you had said if i could get paid for talking to people that would be my that would be my goal yeah that'd be nice and uh, yeah that would just be and what do you do when like if someone sends you messages and said that they've you know gone to counseling or that they were having a hard time like for that like what do you do like what you know um, I normally from, engage with them and and whatever the context of the of what the message is and ho- hope that they're doing well and I come from um, like a personal training coaching background so it wouldn't be uncommon for for people to have told me stuff like that before and um, you know people that would have told me that I, not that I specifically have but you know coming to my gym and stuff before like would have stopped them from having to take antidepressants and things like that there so mm-hmm. i get shocked when i hear things like that but it's obviously very heartwarming and you know when me and Stephen were talking about this we were kind of we knew that um we'd probably get a bit of backlash from from the lads and stuff because it is mm-hmm. obviously sensitive stuff to be putting out there so when you get a message back that says jesus lads that was a great podcast or I've, this is what i'm going through and that makes it all worthwhile for me to hear that you know yeah. yeah, yeah, pretty much, pretty much the same. Yeah, because I studied health promotion, and so I would have studied stuff a little bit on mental health and that type of area. So, again, yeah, not qualified like to counsel people, but definitely able to sort of um, be a bit, uh, yeah, be able to listen to people, I guess. And I think that's just, yeah, that's the main aim. That's what we're looking for out of it. Um, mm. it's been, Good. And do you think, like, so as let's say two guys from, I don't know what age you are, but from essentially rural Ireland, like, do you think people are talking more or do you think there's just, because I find with a lot of topics, people might think they're being discussed more, but they're really just in a little bubble or their little bubble is talking about it and a lot of people aren't. Um, um, well, I'm 30, Hayden's 28. Um, rural Ireland's funny, especially when you play Gaelic football, you could end up been in a circle of friends aged 17 to 40 <laughs> so it's a wide range of age of men a lot of the guys that i'd hang out with here um some people yes some people still a little bit um a little bit not against it but just not as open just yet um i still get a lot of um digs at training and stuff about uh about this type of stuff and having the long hair and all that sort of being that little bit different but I don't think it's a really bad place it's just a bit of a it's just something different in rural Ireland is always gets a little bit of a I don't think it's as taboo as it used to be and I told a story on one of our other podcasts I was driving home really late one night and I met this young guy walking on the road at half two in the morning and I stopped and I turned around and I picked him up again and he was going into the town, which was like 15, 10, 15 minutes driveway. But in that time, he was coming home from a house party, like, and he just completely opened up that he had done a lot of drugs before and he wanted to get away from it. And he was going vegan and 
he was really struggling to be around the friends that he was being around because they were giving him a hard time about not eating meat and the path that he wanted to go down and want to get away from drugs and stuff. And I just met this guy randomly and no idea who he was. But the fact that again, it was like two guys again, he was, he's a good bit younger than me. He was probably like 22, 23. The fact that he felt comfortable enough, I know he was probably drinking, um, but he felt comfortable enough to open up to a complete stranger about his mental health and where he wanted to go was reassuring to me that people in, in rural Donegal and that are coming around to the idea of having these sort of conversations and not making a big deal about them. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I think it's becoming, becoming more, uh, more normal as such, which is great. And definitely I think having people like yourself raising funds for the likes of Jigsaw and, you know, stuff that is in rural communities and actually helpful towards people like that. And um, I think is always a great addition to add to the whole sort of dynamic, especially around here. Um, and just before we do finish up, do you want to tell us where can we find you have a charity page, don't you, for your cycle? I do. Uh, so the, the page is an I donate page. So it's I donate forward slash Lucy's Wild Atlantic Way Cycle. Um, or you can find it on Instagram. My Instagram name's a bit funky, but you can look up just the hashtag Lucy's Wild Atlantic Way Cycle, which is an easier one to find. Um, and it'll be there. We'll tag yeah. you in our we'll tag you in our posts and everything when we put this up as well. So hopefully we can direct the traffic over your direction. Um, Lucy, it was absolutely amazing to speak to you. I'm excited to see excited to see where you go next, and hopefully someday we can be earning twenty thousand euro per podcast, so we can buy your twenty thousand euro furniture. <laughs> you can buy lots of tables then. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, a nice coffee table for twenty thousand. Oh yes, now we're talking. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. That's it. Well, it was a real pleasure to chat to you guys. Thanks for having me. Thank you very much. Thank you.